Real estate experts predict buying a barrier home this spring will be harder than ever. Is now the hardest time to buy a barrier home? Gen Z moving to San Francisco more than any other group, and much, much more as we go over what uh, every 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 Friday at twelve o'clock Pacific time we will go over the market updates, news, and events, along with the data, so that you can see for yourself what is actually happening with the Bay Area real estate market. Let's begin. So my name is Spencer Sue, the Tech Realtor Bay Area. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode. Let's take a look at some of the news articles of the week. Real estate experts predict buying a Bay Area home this spring will be harder than ever. According to Redfin, more than 45% of homes sold in San Jose went for at least $100,000 over asking from January 1 to, to February 15. So the beauty and the downside of looking at these clickbait headline articles is they're all laggards. I mean, think about this. Transactions that happened January 1 of 15 is actually transactions that got in contract in December 1st to mid-January. That's a long time ago. And as we have been seeing week by week, you have been seeing it for yourself what has been going on with the market. The market has been very hot and has been some of the strongest that it has ever been in history. That being said, uh, at the same time, I do see a little bit of a slowdown only though, if you compare what the pending figures were. So how does a Bay Area market work or how does the market work in general, right? If the prices are going up, you can actually, that is gonna be going up if you compare the data of what has been going on in the past sold versus what is going on in the, what is actually, the pending figures. So if you understood the pending figures and you do the right comparison of the data, you will then be successful because you have a pretty good idea what homes are actually going to be trading and selling for. In the past month, if you're, let's say, looking a month ago, if you knew the pending figure, let's say you had a home that was a thousand square feet and you knew the neighboring home was pending at $1 million. Uh, a month ago, if you made a bid for that same home for a million dollars, you would not have been in good position. You would have actually lost if you knew that pending figure. However, if you knew that it was pending and you made above that, let's say a few percent above, then you would have been in good position. Right now, the pending figures are going to be higher than what has sold. However, if you're making an offer close to those pending figures, you will win. Uh, you'll At least you'll be in a good position to win. You're not going to guarantee win. There's no guarantee, but you'll be in a great position to win. So that's something just to be mindful of. I think actually this spring is not going to be harder than ever. I think this spring is going to be actually easier, but it's all relative. I think it'll be easier than what we had in the first three months of the year, which is a big difference in being harder than the previous time. So that's what it, that's what it seems like. I think the market is, uh, at least the price growth side of things, will cool down. And you will see at the end of this show, You'll see the data itself as to the big increases. But remember, those are all laggards, right? Because those homes have closed out or in a contract a month ago. However, we're going to still see that, but the price growth should be um, slowing down. And that's quite frankly in everyone's interest, unless you're obviously a seller and you're moving out of the area, then that's a little bit different. Is now the hardest time to buy Bay Area home. Real estate analysts recently saw the fastest rise in U.S. home prices over any 12 month period in 45 years this is actually going to be worse because this is a this is a laggard uh as i mentioned before if they actually compare to data that will be closing in march 
they're going to be that I, my, I, my guess is that in 45 years that it's going to be even higher, whatever, I don't know, whatever the highest was five, six, seven decades ago, it'll probably be even higher than that. Uh, but the reality is this, it is a very difficult time to buy a house, but it is extremely doable. I mean, keep this in mind at the end of the day, there's X amount of homes being sold a week. As, as you've seen with the report, there's still a lot of chances and opportunities. So the question on your end is, are you making realistic decisions and realistic options of where a home selling for? Right? Think about this just mentally. If you hear all these articles, a home is selling for 100,000 over ask, 500,000 over ask. Do you think it's selling for 100,000 over ask every month? So does that mean in 12 months it's selling for $1.2 million over what it's worth? The reality is no, not even close. At the end of the year, you're probably seeing, let's say, a 15, 20% increase, right? So don't be caught up with the list price because that's an irrelevant number. It makes no difference. Clearly, the market does not go up $1.2 million in one year. That's not how it works, right, from a percentage perspective. So just be mindful of that. That means every area will have its band of prices. It's your responsibility, along with me and as an agent, to help you understand, look, if your budget is $1.5 million, these are the areas that have sold for $1.4 million in the last few months. These are the areas where you should be focusing on. If you have not seen anything in the last few months, especially not a lot in the last few months, that means you're either on the very low end of the price range or you're not looking the right areas. And so you need to know that upfront because if you did that upfront, this will not be this kind of uh, effect of the hardest time to buy in the Bay Area because you're looking in the right areas. And that's the biggest challenge right now because the market has gone up. Think about this. Every area is a band of prices, I would say about 10, 15%. So if you go from like Mountain View to Sunnyvale, the median price is about 15% difference. If you go from Sunnyvale to Santa Clara, Santa Clara to San Jose, et cetera, et cetera. It's all in that band of prices. Now, because in the last few months, it has already increased 15, 20%, you can easily have noticed that the band of prices from one city is already, like you're already priced out. Right. And so you need to understand. And that's talking about sold data. Most people don't even understand about sold data. They don't even look at that. They only look at list price. And that's why they're completely off the mark. But if you look at the sold data, you can also realize it's been difficult in the last few months because of that increase. You have to look at other cities nearby. That's even if you only looked at the sold data. Right. And that's very important if you actually had that due diligence up front. That's why it's been difficult. However, moving forward, my, my prediction is that things will slow down and they're already getting some signs of slowing down. But make no mistake, slowing down does not mean a, a drop in price. It means a slowdown of the increase in price. So that's because, but it becomes more predictable, right? The, the key is it's more predictable than the past. And that's all we can do. And so moving forward, I think that's going to be the case. We should have a slowdown, but we should still have continued increases. But it'll be slower than what it has, which makes it easier for everybody. Right. Including myself, you know, myself as a buyer's agent for most clients, it's not easy or it's not good for me that the market goes up this quickly. Like, Make no mistake. It may, makes it way harder for me. It makes me feel bad for clients. Number one. Number two, I don't, you know, falling back into renting and everybody across the board dropping the drop a like or drop in their comments. Like how much has your rent increased in the last year? Right. You can see across the board, there's been massive rent increases, 15 percent across the board. Right. And so 
I don't like people falling back to that because that's a bigger trap because now you're locked out for another year, potentially, even mentally. But it's important to be realistic. You have plenty of options. Everybody has plenty of options. Trust me. Everybody also has the fact finding that they're up front. Even if your budget is four or five million dollars, which some of my clients are still the same issue. Those price ranges will have bans. Don't be foolish that just because you have X amount of money, you're some you can buy everywhere in, in the Bay Area. That's not how it works. But every every place will have a, its ban. It's important to understand where are those bans so you can focus on those. Next, Gen Z moving to San Francisco more than any other group. I brought this up last week, but it'll continue to be published. You know, that's always a great sign, right? Young talent uh, and culture, uh, it always comes from the, the younger population. Now, Gen Z, the definition, I think millennials are to the age of, I think last week I reported, I think it was like 25 to 39 years old of age. So Gen Z are people that are newer grads. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's always exciting. And of course they're going to choose out of all places in the Bay area, they're going to choose San Francisco, right? San Francisco has a lot more things, a lot more lively things to do all day, all night. It's a higher density of people. It's, it is. So there's clearly a big flow of people coming back to the city. Now, most people may leave San Francisco. They may eventually get outgrow it. They may want to settle down by a place in the suburbs, but from a, uh, from a new entrant perspective, it's very good and very exciting. It's it's, it's very good to see uh, younger people get to experience San Francisco. So San Francisco, as long as they don't implode on itself, will always be this place, especially always as in within the last decade, be that place for younger people to go and live. No different than like in Manhattan. And you actually see that. So look at this. Many Californians are trading one high cost city for another, New York. Bay Area residents in particular are finding opportunities in Manhattan, book room rentals, and luxury developments. So there's this notion like people just always move to low-cost areas. That's not how things work. Like people want a lifestyle, and people with a specific amount of income want to enjoy the luxuries of that specific type of uh, life that they can get. But if you think about it, these quote-unquote high-cost areas are only specific places in the country. So that's why like within the Bay Area, we have people coming back and forth all over. Like I have many clients that may be leaving to Seattle or New York. And then I was vice versa. People from Seattle, New York move to the Bay Area all the time. Like in, amongst us, because things have been opened up and there's no restrictions anymore. In the past, some people may have moved to like Florida and things like that because not just of the, the cost of living is different, but also because of the openness Right, because things were just wide open. They never, they barely closed down for COVID. But if you were, if you, if you knew about, if you, if things were all open now, and that removes that aspect altogether, then it is, uh, it's different. Right now, it's about lifestyle. Like, am I, am I hanging around with the people that I want to be around? Am I hanging around with people within my peers? And that's the interesting part about this. It's not a pure migration to low cost areas. Because high cost is also relative, right? Think about this. If you're making 100K, 200K, 300K, 400K, 500K, million dollar a year, a lot of those core things that you may have as, as rentals, even if a rental is four or $5,000 a month, like which is extremely high from all perspectives, they, all the rest is basically disposable income. 
right? So it's important just to understand why this is happening and why a lot of people are doing this. Like I have a client, they live in Menlo Park and they found a rental in Los Altos for 12,000 a month. They don't need to do that, but it's all it's all about it's all about the flexibility and convenience. And I have many clients that move in and out. Like I have a clients that pay over seven, eight thousand dollars a month in Palo Alto and it is rent. Right. And so things like this will happen all the time. And that's just what it is. So make no mistake, it's not a pure migration of just expensive areas to cheap areas. That will be a subset, but make no mistake, the bigger subset is just transferring back and forth. Lisa, thank you so much for tuning in for that. Yes, great feedback. You know, came came back to San Francisco from five years in New York. And New York is a really interesting place. I'm actually going to be in New York in middle of April. I love visiting there. It's always cool, uh, especially for those that are in, let's say, their 20s to really experience. Eventually, they will, well, not always, but generally, they will outgrow it. And so when they outgrow it, they either come back right to the Bay Area. They kind of settle down here because there's a lot of job opportunities here or they may move to the suburbs. That's very, very common uh, to see. So thanks for tuning in. All right, let's take a look at the next one. This is a really interesting one. $95,000 for 200 square feet. Tiny homes are in demand amid the Bay Area's affordability crisis. So what is, I'm surprised that we just don't see a lot of these because these are, you know, for how much it is, and this is, you know, a, I would say like a micro studio, Right, it's like a micro studio for 200 square feet. You still get everything you need. Um, so having it for either 100k or 300k, because then they can just kind of have a, a plot of land. Like it could, this could easily be like a plot of land because it's not actually. There's no foundation. It's still, it's still on wheels. Now there's there's some like things that will hold it to the sides. But if they can do this, what prevents them from changing like massive parking lots into this? If you actually think about it back in COVID, there were many of these instances where they changed parking lot uh, lots itself and they just house a bunch of RVs in there. So that way the RVs are not crowding the streets. And that way, and also parking lots, I mean, you're not even doing anything. There's, it was like a complete waste of space. And so this is a really interesting initiative. And I'm surprised like this doesn't happen more. So if anyone is dealing with this, I'd be interested to hear your perspective. Like, why wouldn't you do this? Why couldn't this just be built? on a bunch of parking lots that are wide open. And then for those parking lot individuals, right? Think about that. Think about how much they may potentially charge uh, per day. Maybe work out a deal with those uh, owners, right? No different than like a mobile home park. A right? mobile home park charges X amount uh, a month. And if, you know, in the Bay Area, it's 1000 to $2,000 a month for mobile home uh, land usage. So why don't they do something similar to that? I don't understand. I don't understand why. I don't know if it's politics. I don't know if it's there's other reasons, but this can create a ton of housing in a very effective way. And quite frankly, you can also get a lot of investors to do this, right? Because think about this. If you were an investor, given what you can probably charge for rent here, so this could also help with renting too, not just for people owning a place. $95,000, let's say $95,000 capital investment. 200 square foot place. How much do you think someone would be willing to pay for this kind of rent? Maybe it's a thousand dollars a month. I think that's pretty cheap, right? I think that's really cheap. But think about this: if you were able, as an investor, able to get a thousand dollars per month for a ninety-five thousand dollar investment, that's in many places called a one percent rule, 
right? 1% of your monthly rent equals, uh, uh, it's 1% of the rent divided by the, the value of the place uh, is 1% in that case. That makes it a very attractive thing. In most places across the country, you cannot do that anymore outside of places like maybe like Midwest or something like that. Uh, but that's a very attractive even financial model for regular investors. There'll be a lot of people that'll be willing to pour in that money. And my guess is probably more than a thousand bucks uh, for this kind of space. And so there's so many opportunities. And that's the thing about this. And that's the shame about this. Like there's so much opportunity for money to be poured in, money easily to be poured in. There'll be tons of money that can be easily raised for this. So there's no liquidity issue. It's a matter of wanting and willingness to do it. And uh, that I do not know about. But um, as you can see, there are some cities that are kind of sprouting out for this. And you can have places that are further out that has even more land. Maybe just get like farmland. I actually know this uh, uh, owner that actually has, um, he, he actually lives in the hills of Milpitas. And what he does is he has, um, what are those things? Those uh, cargo containers. So he has cargo containers. And then he just rents those out, not for people to live in. I think actually maybe, but I don't know about that. But for just self-storage. And, and that was really easy. Like they have so much land out there, right? So they just do a bunch of self-storage spots. It's more affordable for people than those traditional self-storage locations. It's a win-win-win for everybody. And so there's so many of these opportunities where there's tons of land that can easily just be plotted this on. And of course, you do, they do have to figure out though of like sewage, plumbing, and things like that. But uh, there are many different business models that can easily uh, be a rise from this. So uh, it's about... The, the willingness to do it than the ability to do it. Money is plentiful there. Like that kind of return, I can raise lots of money for that kind of project easily because that's a very, very good investment. But the willingness is a, is a different matter. Okay, let's wrap up with the last thing of the week. East Coast developer expands in the Bay Area buys Prime Peninsula sites. Uh, we're going to see this over and over and over again. There's going to be so many deals continuing to go through about developers continuing to buy in the Bay Area, especially in the peninsula. And take a look at this, over and over and over again, life science development push. Right now we have so much liquidity, we have so much investments into these life science space. Now life science space though, to be fair, uh, it's even more of a potential boom or bust uh, model, right? Because if you think about it, a lot of things that, you know, to be preferable, you have to go through FDA clearance, and very few will go through that, but they're massive lottery tickets. And so for those that are willing to make that bet, which a lot are, especially with all these new opportunities of new drug deliveries, new innovations. I actually studied biotechnology back in UC Davis many, many uh, life lives ago. But to, as you can see, th this continues to be the push. And there's so much opportunity because if there's a hit on these, these are instantly multi-billion dollar companies, instantly. And that's the gamble. And that's the bet that people will continue to make. And quite frankly, there's a lot of innovation and a lot of excitement. And uh, it's always going to be nice to see all these things uh, continue to sprout forward. Okay, let's take a look at the data itself. So San Mateo County, 181 new listings this week. That's a lot of new listings. Contingent pending, 166. Let's take a look at the prices. You can see for yourself, March has been the highest it has ever been. You can see the continuous increase through the months. And that was from that very first data point that you had saw. You can see from January to March. This is uh, 
think about a 300K increase. So it's equivalent to about 15, 16%, I think. So that has been the case. I suspect this will continue to push forward. As a reminder, the ones that are pending right now will close ultimately in April-ish. And so I suspect April figures, but the growth is slowing down. So I suspect the March, the April figures will be a little bit more plateaued and we'll see in a month or so. Uh, but that is my bet at the moment. And you can see condos and townhomes, they've been relatively flat, fairly predictable. I actually helped the client, congratulations to my client. We got a contract this week. She was able to get a, get a nice townhome for lower than what it had sold, I think, what, a year or two ago, uh, like 9% percent lower. So there are plenty of deals and opportunities all across the board, and that is a fantastic bet to make, which are condos and townhomes in San Mateo County. Take a look at Santa Clara County. 493 new listings this week, 406 contingent pending. Take a look at this increase as well. It's across the board, right? This is happening across the board. Same kind of percentage, quite frankly, too. You can see the steep increases throughout the year. Like I said, I suspect this will flatten a little bit as we approach the springtime and the, the, and the following months, but uh, it has certainly been a big increase. The difference here, though, is condos and townhouses have certainly increased the same amount. Uh, they have also have done phenomenally. Like I had a, a condo that I sold recently, and we've done extremely well, way, way better than expectations. Like my expectation was it's about 9% higher than expectations. That's how much more it has increased, which is kind of in line with what you see here. Next, Alameda County, 497 new listings. You can see that's the most amount of new listings that has been all year round. 365 continued pending. You can see the price increases as well. So as you can see, it's happening across the board. Like This is not a specific market. It's everywhere. And why is that? It's because there's a massive flow of people coming back to the Bay Area, a massive flow of people buying a place. And because of even though the mandate to return to work is, is already back in place and most will trickle in, the reality is people have options to live anywhere they want, which means everywhere will go up. Uh, because the amount of homes for people to choose from is much less and, and very limited. The other notion I do want to wrap up on is why is that the case? The case is also because a lot of people that are buying the next house are not needing to sell the current house. They can just easily rent that house out and then just buy the next one because there is no liquidity issue. They have plenty of money to do it. It's, wh it's whether they want to do it or not is the key. And that's a challenge for new entrants because that supply is not coming back into the market, right? So hopefully this helps you guys get an insight as to how I think, but also what is going on with the Bay Area real estate market. Of course, if you have any questions, feel free to call or text me below, 408-547-4590. I'm the one that will be replying to that. So you know I will be replying very quickly. And of course, if you or anyone you know has any questions, leave in the comments below. Be sure to like that, hit that like button. And subscribe. We have this content every week. However, next week I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be out in Denver. So if there's anyone you know I should I should be meeting, connecting with in Denver, I will be there for a luxury uh, conference when it comes to real estate. But I'll be there for a week. So no show next week, but I'll see you in two weeks. Have a good weekend. Bye now.